This is Rabbi Sharon Brous, Rabbi Adi Kar, where we're dedicated to reinvigorating Jewish community, ritual, and learning, all while laying the foundation for a just and loving society. You're listening to Ikar's podcast, where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our teachings, our guest speakers, basically anything we think worth hearing that we can capture and stream, you can listen to right here. The whole Megillah. I mean, literally the whole Megillah. So thank you so much for being with us. Shabbat Shalom, everybody. I'm going to start today with a story. It was late at night, dark, darker than anyone had ever seen before, and it was quiet. Well, except the bugs, loud, chirping, and the slight wind, but mostly it was quiet. But it was not a calm quiet. Rachel was unsettled at best straining her ear to listen past the bugs and the wind for any other sounds, waiting for the perfect moment. For as long as she could remember, she had been living under extremely harsh conditions and being forced to do unending physical labor and given very little in return. She had, during that time, had a child, tried her best to raise her, while cognizant of how little she could give her, how repressed they were. And then finally, in this dark, quiet night, Rachel had heard that the time had come, that she could maybe leave her and her daughter. Someone relayed that after many false starts, this time was going to be different. They would somehow be able to leave under the cover of night and flee, and make it across the water, hopefully, and onto safer and better land. The fear of leaving almost matched the fear of staying. But she reminded herself over and over and over again that a better life had to be possible. It had to be worth risking everything. The escape, the dark nights in the faceless, formless desert, the dark, cold water, escaping the guards, the patrol, the careful watchers. She was ready, as ready as she could ever be. When the message came that it was time, then it was go time, she was still taken aback stunned despite years months days of waiting she threw everything she could carry into her bag kneeled down in front of her daughter and told her the news it's time rachel explained we have to go they had prepared this escape escape so many times but had never gotten to this moment the real moment of escape her daughter small afraid seemed calmer than rachel she just nodded remember rachel said as they sidled toward the door We have to be quiet for a long time, and it's going to be really hard. But on the other side of that is going to be a whole other world, the one that we've been imagining together. And then silently they went out into the night, meeting up with some other pairs and groups as they made their way quickly out of everything they knew. They walked for so long they couldn't even remember how long they had walked, and then on cue they started to run, feeling that their freedom was getting even closer, They were farther away from their horror than they had ever dreamed they could be. Faster, 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 and then the water. They had been prepared for this, what they knew would be the hardest part of their journey, the most uncertain. There it was, laid out before them as far as the eye could see. The only choice they had was to try to cross it, that or go back to everything that they had finally, once and for all, escaped. Just as they found themselves on the edge of this expanse, this patchwork group of people who had all silently joined together on their journeys, they started to hear something behind them. It had been silent for so long, and then suddenly rustling, murmurs, voices. They had to run, now, 
This was the last possible moment they could attempt the freedom that had for so long eluded them. One, two, three, they jumped in. And by some combination of grit and strength and miracles, they made it. They made it to the other side. They made it to freedom. They made it to a better life. Rachel and her daughter and every other person they had amassed on their path toward that redemption. This story of persecution, fear, constant surveillance, oppression, this story of eventual silent escape finally toward a freedom that seems maybe impossible, this story of the nearly insurmountable journey to get there, this is a story of asylum. This is a story of migration. And this one, the one I just told, is ours. It's the story that we're about to tell and retell around our Seder tables in 10 days. It is the story of the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt, the seminal story of our people, our people who were slaves in Egypt for generations and then deceived by many almost escapes before Pharaoh would change his mind or the circumstances would change or the rules would change. And then finally, one dark, quiet night, the final real escape. The moment itself was so fast that no one had time to think before they set out into a future that was completely unknown, but within it held all of the hope and dreaming and imagining that a whole people could hold. The story I just told is ours, and it is also universal. It is a story that has played out and continues to play out all over the globe. Our peoplehood was born out of this exodus. Our peoplehood was forged in escape and hope and belief in a better future in seeking a life we could not even envision because the only one we knew was so uninhabitable. At our core, we are people who know the experience of being marginalized, ostracized, persecuted. We are a people who know, as the Torah always reminds us, that we were strangers in the land of Egypt. And as such, we know how we treat the stranger matters. How we engage with the other matters. How we welcome asylum seekers matters. And in this moment in our country, we find ourselves appallingly at yet another crossroads. We are poised yet again in this country to effectively close our borders to asylum seekers, to make it all but impossible for people to gain access to this country, to seek a better life for themselves and their families, to leave everything they have ever known and risk their lives for something they believe might be possible. A dream we as a people know so well a few weeks ago, the Biden administration announced a new series of policies that would result in many ways in an asylum ban, a choice that many of our partners, like HIAS, who work with refugees, are working actively against every day. These new policies would work to make most people ineligible for asylum. In order to qualify, people would have to satisfy one of two criteria. One, they would have to have sought and been denied asylum in another country through which they traveled to get to the U.S., meaning it would be impossible for anyone to go through a third country to get here. And two, they would have to appear at a port of entry at a time and place that they scheduled ahead of time through the Department of, Security, Department of Homeland Security's phone app, CBP-1, an app that has already been shown to be unreliable at best and not capable of withstanding any percentage of the demand for it. The new parameters also then are limited to people who have a smartphone, Wi-Fi, and consistent access to electricity. Two days ago, even, President Biden and Prime Minister Trudeau announced that they had reached a new agreement to turn away more asylum seekers at the borders in both Canada and the United States. This is where we find ourselves. 
on the precipice of reenacting policies of the former administration and of many before that, of denying the legal rights of people to seek asylum, to fight for a better life for themselves and for their families. In a moment in our country when we are starting to see other rights that have been previously given now taken away, we should be concerned. We should be outraged. This is not who we are. And this is not who we are called to be, as Jews and as Americans. We are about to tell the story of our people's slavery and then our freedom, pressed against the backdrop of impe the impending minimization of rights of people trying to do the same. We believe deeply that every person is created in God's image. We preach it and we live it and we try to teach it. But what happens when we fall short? What happens when we see that our values are not being lived out fully by us or by our government officials? What do we do to repair? What do we do to move forward? What do we do when we've lost our way? The first answer that might seem obvious is tshuva, repentance, return, repair. We need to right ourselves again, find our way back, seek forgiveness, but our tradition also has another answer. This week we just entered the book of Leviticus, known by many as the least interesting book of the Torah. I won't concede that, but it certainly has fewer riveting stories than the ones that we've gotten in Genesis and Exodus. In, the, in this book, in Vayikra, suddenly, in the middle of our Exodus story, we start to get more laws, systems, structures. We start to learn what it means to operate as imperfect people in the world. We get a system of korbanot, of offerings, sacrificial offerings to be specific. This kind of system, of course, feels pretty inaccessible to many of us. Our Judaism so removed from a system of sacrifices, but it has some wisdom for us nonetheless. In this system, there are all different kinds of offerings, peace offerings, well-being offerings, thanksgiving offerings, and of course, sin offerings. And these sin offerings are split into two categories, the shogeg, accidental, and bemezid, intentional. And this distinction is a critical one. Sometimes you inadvertently trespass something that has been commanded, and sometimes you know exactly what you're doing. And intent in this system matters. The proposed asylum policies are so familiar to us, too familiar. The same kinds of things we have seen proposed and implemented before. The same restrictions on human dignity and human rights. This moment is not an accident. If it were, our tradition says, a sacrificial offering would have to be made when the guilt was realized. But what about if it was intentional? What if they knew exactly what they were doing? The Parsha that we read this morning sets up the case as follows. When someone commits a transgression against God. The introduction of this kind of sin and offering is set up differently from many of the others. The others indicate an uncertainty if this person sinned against God unknowingly. But this is when. This has no room for ambiguity. It was intentional. Rabbeinu Bachia, the 14th century Spanish commentator, helps explain exactly what it means to, to commit a transgression intentionally. He says there are actually only four cases when an offering is brought for things that are intentional. And among them are swearing a false oath in testimony, and swearing a false oath about something that has, has been entrusted to you. Among this administration's campaign promises, was a pledge to usher in an era of, quote, fair, orderly, and humane asylum, uh, of a fair, orderly, and humane asylum process, one imbued with the kind of dignity and respect that feels more aligned with the values of our tradition and of our story. And yet, here we are, 
precariously perched in this moment on the verge of that oath being a false one. Having taken a false oath about something that has been entrusted to the administration, the lives of human beings, created in the image of God. So what do we do? Aside from recognizing that the kind of offering we bring needs to be different for this kind of offense, an intentional offense, how does that translate into our language and our world? An answer comes from Sforno, the 16th century Italian commentator, in a comment on the same verse as the insight from Rabbeinu Bachia. Sforno says the following, She'ein ha-korban mechaper ela imken payes et hanezek kodem hava'at ha-korban. This offering only atones for the sin if the injured party says they have done enough, that they have satisfied the demands of the people they have harmed before they bring an offering. Bringing a sin offering is not enough. Recognizing the impact is not enough. Something has to change. What would be enough? How can this be repaired? In a couple weeks, when we sit around the Seder table and tell the story of our exodus and redemption, we will also sing the Seder classic, Dayenu. We will list all of the steps that we took toward our freedom, and at every step we will say, that would have been enough, Dayenu. If we had only gotten to the sea, but it had not split and we had not crossed safely, it would have been enough. If we had crossed safely, but God hadn't provided for us in the desert for 40 years, Dayenu. If we had been provided food, but never received Shabbat, Dayenu, and on and on and on. But is that true? Would any of those steps toward our redemption really have been far enough? Would those compromises have been worth it? Could we have survived and built a life for ourselves? At the Seder, we are told, Every person is obligated to see themselves as, the, as though they left Egypt, they themselves. We are commanded in this season to remember that there is no distinction between self and other, us and them, those of us who are here and those who dream of being here. What is enough? Certainly, compromising human dignity for asylum seekers is not enough. Cutting off more pathways into this country is not enough. These choices are being made after decades of dehumanizing immigration policy, especially in recent memory. There is no way to argue that these choices are not being made with full clarity of intent. The sin offering, the guilt offering, will not be enough. It will not be enough until the injured party says so. And until that injured party can truly be heard here, we, the residents of this country, have to speak up. We have to fight to create safe and humane paths for people to enter this country. It's a dark, dark, quiet night somewhere, here, there, in Egypt, in Guatemala, in Cuba. Someone is waiting for the signal that they can finally leave that they can finally flee in search of a better life for themselves and their children. They're still waiting. What are we going to tell them? Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat. Please rise. We will conclude with Musaf on page 184. Hi, it's Rabbi Brass again. Thank you so much for listening. Want more content like this? I hope you'll subscribe. And please 
Consider making a contribution to Ikar so we can continue to work toward the fulfillment of our mission, to reanimate Jewish life, to embody moral courage, to nurture the spirit, and to work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Visit our website at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And I hope to see you, maybe even in person, sometime soon.